Hello and welcome to the Omar Samel podcast, a podcast where today I will be reading the Gulag Archipelago written by the great Alexander Schwarzenegger. And today I will begin the preface. In 1949, some friends and I came upon a noteworthy news item in Nature, a magazine of the Academy of Sciences. It repatriated in tiny type that in the course of excavation of the Columbia River, a subterranean ice lens had been discovered which was actually a frozen screen. And in it were found frozen specimens of prehistoric fauna, some tens of thousands of years old. Whether fish or salamander, those were preserved in so fresh a state, the scientific correspondent reported that those present immediately broke open the ice encasing the specimens and devoured them with relish on the spot. The magazine no doubt astonished its small audience with the news how successful the flesh of fish could be kept fresh in a frozen state, but few indeed among its readers were able to decipher the genuine and heroic meaning of this incautious report. As for us, however, we understood instantly. You could picture the entire scene right down to the smallest details, how those present broke up the ice in frenzied haste, how floating the high claims of ichthology and elbowing each other to be the first. They tore off chunks of the prehistoric flesh and hauled them over, to the bonfire to thaw them out and bolt them down. We understood because we ourselves were the same kind of people as those present at the events. We too were from that powerful tribe of Zex, unique on the face of the earth, the only people who could, who could devour prehistoric salamander with relish. And the Colima were the greatest and most famous island, the pole of ferocity of the amazing country of Gulag, which though scattered in an archipelago geographically, was in the psychological sense fused into a continent an almost invisible, almost imperceptible country inhabited by the Zek people. And this archipelago crisscrossed and patterned the other country within, which was located like a giant patchwork, cutting into the cities, hovering over its streets. Yet there were many who did not even guess at its presence, and many, many others who had heard something vague. And only those who had been there know the, knew the whole truth. But as though stricken dumb on the islands of the archipelago, they kept their silence. By an unexpected turn of history, a bit of the truth, an insignificant part of the whole, was allowed out into the open. But those same hands, which once screwed tight our handcuffs, now hold, hold out their planes, palms in reconciliation. No, don't. Don't dig up the past. Dwell on the past and you lose an eye. But the proverb goes on to say, forget the past and you lose both eyes. Decades go by and the scars on the source of the past are healing over for good. In the course of this period, some of the islands of the archipelago had shuddered and dissolved and the polar sea of the oblivion rolls over them. And someday in the future, this archipelago, its air and the bones of its inhabitants, frozen, frozen in a lens of ice, will be discovered by our descendants. Like, like some improbable in salamander, I would not be so bold as to try to write the history of the archipelago. I have never had the chance to read the documents, 
and in fact, will anyone ever have the chance to read them? Those who do not wish to recall have already had enough time and will have more to destroy all the documents down to the very last one. I have absorbed into myself my own 11 years. They are not as something shameful, nor as a nightmare to be cursed. I have come almost to love that monstrous world and now by a happy turn of events I have also been entrusted with many recent reports and letters so perhaps I, sh I shall be able to give some account of the bones and flesh of that salamander which incidentally is still alive. This book, this book could never have been created by one person alone in addition to what I myself was able to take away from the archipelago on the skin of my back and with my eyes and ears material for this book was given me in reports, memoirs and letters by 227 witnesses whose names would have been listed here what, what I have here expressed to them is not a personal gratitude but this is our common collective monument to all those who were tortured and murdered from among them I would like to single out, in particular, those who worked hard to help me obtain supporting bib bibliographical material from books to be found in contemporary libraries, or, book, or, or from books long since removed from libraries and destroyed. Great persis persistence were often required to find even one copy which had been preserved. Even more, would I like to pay tribute to those who have helped me keep this manuscript concealed in different periods and then to have it copied. But the time have, has not yet come, whom, when I dare name them, the old Solvetsky Islands prisoner, Dmitry Petrovich Vitskov Sky, was to have been the editor of this book, but his half a lifetime spent there, and indeed his own camp memoirs are entailed, entitled Half a Lifetime, resulted in untimely par paralysis and it was not until after he had already been deprived of the gift of speech that he was able to read several completed chapters only and see for himself that everything will be told and if freedom still does not down on my country for a long time to come then the very reading and handing on of this book will be very dangerous so that i am bound to salute future readers as well on behalf of those who have perished when I began to write this book in 1958, I knew of no memoirs, no works of literature dealing with the camps. During my years of work between 1967, I gradually became acquainted with the Kolymar stories of Varlam Sh Shalamov and the memoirs of Dmitry Votsky, Iginsberg and O. Adama Slizelberg, to which I refer in the course of my narrative as literature facts, as literary facts known to all as indeed they someday shall be, despite their intent and against their will, certain persons provided invaluable material for this book and helped preserve many important facts and statistics as well as the very air they breathed. Mr. I. Sudrops Latsis N. V. Krenko
the chief state prosecutor for many more years. His heir, A. Y. Vinsky, and those jurists who were his accomplices, among whom one was single out in particular, I. L. Averbuck. Material for this book was also provided by 36 Soviet writers headed by Maxim Gorky, authors of this disgraceful book on the White Sea Canal, which was the first in Russian literature to glorify slave labour. Part 1. The Prison Industry In the period of dictatorship, surrounded on all sides by enemies, we sometimes manifested unnecessary leniency and unnecessary subhardiness. This was written by Krinlakov, speech at the Promparchi trials. Chapter 1 Arrest How do people get to this clandestine archipelago? Hour by hour, planes fly there, ships steer their course there, and, tr and trains thunder off to it, but all with a nary mark on them to tell of their destination at ticket windows or at travel bureaus for Soviet or foreign tourists, the employees would be astounded if you were to ask for a ticket to go there. They knew nothing or they've never heard of the archipelago as a whole or any one of its innumerable islands. Those who go to the archipelago to administer it get there via the training schools of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. Those who go there to be guards are conscripted by the military conscription centres and those who like you and me dear reader go there to die must get there solely and compulsory via arrest arrest need it to be said that is a breaking point in your life a bolt of lightning which has scored a direct hit on you that it is an unsemblable spiritual earthquake not every person can cope with as a result of which people often slip into insanity. The universe has as many different centres as there are living beings in it. Each of us is a centre of the universe, and that universe is shattered when they hiss at you. You are under arrest. If you are arrested, can anything else remain unshattered by this catalysism? But the darker mind is, cap is incapable of embracing these displacements in our universe. And both the most sophisticated and the, the very simpleton among us, during an old life experiencing, can gasp out only me, what for? And this is a question which, though repeated millions and millions of times before, has yet to receive an answer. Arrest is an instantaneous shuttering thrust, expulsion, somersault from one state into another. We have been happily born. Or perhaps have happily dragged our way, our weary way, down the long and crooked streets of our lives, past all kinds of walls and fences made of rotting wood, rammed earth, brick, concrete, and iron railings. We have never given a thought to what lies behind them. We have never tried to penetrate them with our vision or our understanding. But that is where the gulag country begins right next to us, two yards away from us. In addition, we have failed to notice an enormous number of closely fitted, well-disguised doors and gates 
in these fences. All those gates were prepared for us, every last one. And all of a sudden, the fateful gate swings quickly open, and four white male hands, unaccustomed to physical labour, but nonetheless strong and tenacious, grab us by the leg, arm, collar, cap, ear, and drag us in like a sack. And the gate behind us, the gate to our past life, is slammed shut once and for all. That all is to it. You are arrested. And you'll find nothing better to respond with them a lamb-like bleeds. Me, what for? That's what arrest is. It's a blinding flash and a blow which shifts the present instantly into the past and the impossible into the omnipotent actuality. That's all. And neither for the last hour, first hour, nor the first day will you be able to grasp anything else. Except that in your desperation, the fake circus moon will blink at you. It's a mistake. They'll set things right. And everything which by now comprising the traditional, even literary, image of an arrest will pile up and take shape. Not in your own disordered memory, but in what your family and your neighbours in your apartment remember. The sharp night time ring or the rude knock at your door the insolent entrance of the unwiped jagpus of the unsleeping state security operatives the frightened and cowardly civilians witness at their backs and what function does the civilian witness serve the victim does not even dare think about it and the operatives don't remember but that's what the regulations call for and so he has to sit there all night long and sign in the morning for the witness jerked from his bed. It is torture too to go out at night after night to help arrest his own neighbours and acquaintances. The traditional image of arrest is also trembling hand packing for the victim, a change of underwear, a piece of soap, something to eat and no one knows what is needed. And what is permitted and what clothes are best to wear. And the security agents keep, in, keep interrupting and hurrying you. You don't need anything. They'll feed you there. It's warm there. It's all lies. They keep hurrying you to frighten you. The traditional image of arrest is also what happens afterwards. When the, court, when the poor victim has been taken away. It is an alien, brutal and crushing force. Totally dominating their apartment for hours on end. A breaking ripping open, pulling from the walls, emptying things from wardrobes and desks onto the floor, shaking, dumping out and ripping apart, piling up mountains of litter on the floor and the crunch of things being trampled beneath jackboots. And nothing is sacred in a search. During the arrest of the locomotive engine in Oshin, a tiny coffin stood in his room, containing the body of the newly dead child, the jurist, Dumped the child's body out of the coffin and searched it. They shake sick people out their sick pit. They unwind badges to search beneath them. Nothing is so stupid to be inadmissible during a search. For example, the seized from the antiquarian Chet Vutkin, a certain number of pages. The Tsarist decrees to wit decree on ending the war with Napoleon and the formation of the Holy Alliance, a proclamation of public praise against cholera, 
during the epidemic of the 1830. From our greatest expert on Tibet, Vitsarovki, they confiscated, they confiscated ancient Tibetan manuscripts of great value and it took the pupils of the deceased scholars 30 years to wrest them from the KGB. When the Oriental, Orientalist Nevetsky was arrested, they grabbed Tangut manuscripts. And 25 years later, the deceased victims was posthumously awarded a Lenin Prize for deciphering them from cargo that took his archives of the Yenisei, Otsuyetsky, and we told the alphabet and vocabulary he had developed for his people, and a small nationality was thereby left without any written language. It would take a long time to describe this, all this in educated speech. But there's a folk saying about the search which covers the subject. They are looking for something which is never put there. They carry off whatever they have seized, and sometimes they compel the arrested individual to carry it. Thus Nina Alexandrovna Palashinsky hauled over her shoulder a bag filled with the papers and letters of her eternally busy and active husband's husband, the late great Russian engineer, carrying it into the moor once and for all, forever. For all for those left behind after the arrest, there's a long tale of a wreck of a wrecked and devastated life and attempts to go and div- deliver food parcels but from all the windows the answer comes in barking voices nobody here by that name never heard of him yes and in the worst days in the Leningrad it took five days of standing crowded lines just to get to the window and it may be only after half a year or a year that the arrested person responds at all or else the answer is tossed out, deprived of the right to correspond. And that means once and for all, no right to correspondence. And that almost for certain means, has been shot. That's how we picture arrest to ourselves. That kind of arrest described is in fact a favourite. Because it has important advantages, everyone living in the apartment is thrown into the state of terror. By the first knock at the door, the arrested person is torn from the warmth of his bed. He is in a daze, half asleep, helpless, and his judgment is befogged. 